Section 30 of the Interpretation of Dreams. This is a LibriVox recording. All LibriVox recordings are in the public domain. For more information or to volunteer, please visit LibriVox.org. The Interpretation of Dreams by Sigmund Freud. Translated by A. A. Brill. Section 30. Regard for Representability. We hitherto have been concerned with investigating the manner in which our dreams represent the relations between the dream thoughts, but we have often extended our inquiry to the further question as to what alterations the dream material itself undergoes for the purposes of dream formation. We now know that the dream material, after being stripped of a great many of its relations, is subjected to compression, while at the same time displacements of the intensity of its elements enforce a psychic transvaluation of this material the displacements which we have considered were shown to be substitutions of one particular idea for another in some way related to the original by its associations and the displacements were made to facilitate the condensation inasmuch as in this manner instead of two elements a common mean between them found its way into the dream so far no mention has been made of any other kind of displacement but we learn from the analyses that displacement of another kind does occur and that it manifests itself in an exchange of the verbal expression for the thought in question. In both cases we are dealing with the displacement along a chain of associations, but the same process takes place in different psychic spheres, and the result of this displacement in the one case is that one element is replaced by another, while in the other case an element exchanges its verbal shape for another. The second kind of displacement occurring in dream formation is not only of great theoretical interest but also peculiarly well fitted to explain the appearance of fantastic absurdity in which dreams disguise themselves displacement usually occurs in such a way that a colorless and abstract expression of the dream thought is exchanged for one that is pictorial and concrete the advantage and along with it the purpose of this substitution is obvious whatever is pictorial can be capable of representation in dreams and can be fitted into a situation which abstract expression would confront the dream representation with difficulties not unlike those which would arise if a political leading article had to be represented in an illustrated journal not only the possibility of representation but also the interests of condensation and of the censorship may be furthered by this exchange once the abstractly expressed and unserviceable dream thought is translated into pictorial language those contacts and identities between this new expression and the rest of the dream material which are required by the dream work in which it contrives whether whenever they are not available are more readily provided since in every language concrete terms owing to their evolution are richer in associations than are abstract terms it may be imagined that a good part of the intermediate work in dream formation which seeks to reduce the separate dream thoughts to the tersest and most unified expression in the dream is effected in this manner by fitting paraphrases of the various thoughts the one thought whose mode of expression has perhaps been determined by other factors will therewith exert a distributive and selective influence on the expressions available for the others and it may even do this from the very start just as it would in the creative activity of a poet when a poem is to be written in rhymed couplets the second rhyming line is bound by two conditions it must express the meaning allotted to it and its expression must permit of a rhyme with the first line the best poems are of course those in which one does not detect the effort to find a rhyme and in which both thoughts have as a matter of course by mutual induction selected the verbal expression which with a little subsequent adjustment will permit of the rhyme 
In some cases, the change of expression serves the purpose of dream condensation more directly in that it provides an arrangement of words which, being ambiguous, permits of the expression of more than one dream thoughts. The whole range of verbal wit is thus made to serve the purpose of the dream work. The part is played by words in dream formation ought not to surprise us. A word as the point of junction of a number of ideas possesses, as it were, a predestined ambiguity in the neuroses, obsessions, phobias, take advantage of the opportunities for condensation and disguise afforded by words quite as eagerly as do dreams. That dream distortion also profits by this displacement of expression may be readily demonstrated. It is indeed confusing if one ambiguous word is substituted for two with single meanings, and the replacement of sober everyday language by a plastic mode of expression baffles our understanding, especially since a dream never tells us whether the elements presented by it are to be interpreted literally or metaphorically, whether they refer to the dream material directly or only by means of interpolated expressions. Generally speaking, in the interpretation of any element of a dream, it is doubtful whether it is a. to be accepted in the negative or positive sense, contrast relation, b. is to be interpreted historically as a memory, c. is symbolic, or whether d. its valuation is based upon its wording. In spite of this versatility, we may say that the representation affected by the dream work, which was never even intended to be understood, does not impose upon the translator any greater difficulties than those that the ancient writers of hieroglyphics imposed upon their readers. I have already given several examples of dream representations which are held together only by ambiguity of expression. Her mouth opens without difficulty in the dream of Irma's infection. I cannot go yet after all in the last dream related, etc. I shall now cite a dream in the analysis of which plastic representation of the abstract thought plays a greater part. The difference between such dream interpretation and the interpretation by means of symbols may nevertheless be clearly defined. In the symbolic interpretation of dreams, the key to the symbolism is selected arbitrarily by the interpreter, while in our own cases of verbal disguise, these keys are universally known and are taken from established modes of speech. Provided one hits on the right idea on the right occasion, one may solve dreams of this kind either completely or in part, independently of any statements made by the dreamer. A lady friend of mine dreams. She is at the opera. It is a Wagnerian performance which has lasted until 7.45 in the morning. In the stalls and pit there are tables at which people are eating and drinking. Her cousin and his young wife, who have just returned from their honeymoon, are sitting at one of these tables. Beside them is a member of the aristocracy. The young wife is said to have brought him back with her from the honeymoon quite openly, just as she may have brought back a hat. In the middle of the stalls there is a high tower, on the top of which there is a platform surrounded by an iron railing. There, high overhead, stands the conductor, with the features of Hans Richter, continually running round behind the railing, perspiring terribly, and from this position he is conducting the orchestra, which is arranged round the base of the tower. She herself is sitting in a box with a friend of her own sex, known to me. Her younger sister tries to hand her up from the stalls a large lump of coal, alleging that she has not known it would be this long, so she must by this time be miserably cold, as if the boxes ought to have been heated during the long performance. Although in other respects the dream gives a good picture of the situation, it is of course nonsensical enough. The tower in the middle of the stalls from which the conductor leads the orchestra and above all the coal which her sister hands up to her. I purposely asked for no analysis of this dream. 
With some knowledge of the personal relations of the dreamer, I was able to interpret parts of it independently of her. I knew she had felt intense sympathy for a musician whose career had been prematurely brought to an end by insanity. I therefore decided to take the tower in the stalls verbally. It then emerged that the man whom she wished to see in the place of Hans Richter towered above all the other members of the orchestra. This tower must be described as a composite formation by means of opposition. By its substructure, it represents the greatness of the man, but by the railing at the top behind which he runs round like a prisoner or an animal in a cage, in allusion to the name of the unfortunate man, it represents his later fate. Lunatic tower is perhaps the expression in which the two thoughts might have met. Now that we have discovered the dream's method of representation, we may try with the same key to unlock the meaning of the second apparent absurdity, that of the coal which her sister hands up to the dreamer. Coal should mean secret love. No fire, no coal so hotly glows as the secret of love which no one knows. She and her friend remain seated while her younger sister, who still has a prospect of marrying, hands her up the coal because she did not know that it would be so long. What would be so long is not told in the dream. If it were an anecdote, we should say the performance, but in the dream we may consider the sentence as it is, declare it to be ambiguous, and add before she married. The interpretation, secret love, is then confirmed by the mention of the cousin, who is sitting with his wife in the stalls, and by the open love affair attributed to the latter. The contrast between secret and open love, between the dreamer's fire and the coldness of the young wife, dominate the dream. Moreover, here, once again, there is a person in a high position as a middle term between the aristocrat and the musician who is justified in raising high hopes. In the above analysis, we have at last brought to light a third factor whose part in the transformation of the dream thoughts into dream content is by no means trivial, namely consideration of the suitability of the dream thoughts for representation in the particular psychic material of which the dream makes use, that is for the most part in visual images. Among the various subordinate ideas associated with the essential dream thoughts, those will be preferred which permit use of visual representation, and the dream work does not hesitate to recast the intractable thoughts into an other verbal form, even though this is a more unusual form, provided it makes representation possible, and thus puts an end to the psychological distress caused by strangulated thinking. This pouring of the thought content into another mold may at the same time serve the work of condensation and may establish relations with another thought which otherwise would not have been established. It is even possible that the second thought may itself have been previously changed in its original expression for the purpose of meeting the first one halfway. Herbert Silberer has described a good method of directly observing the transformation of thoughts into images which occurs in dream formation and has thus made it possible to study in isolation this one factor of the dream work. If, while in a state of fatigue and somnolence, he imposed upon himself a mental effort, it frequently happened that the thought escaped him, and in its place there appeared a picture in which he could recognize the substitute for the thought. Not quite appropriately, Silbera described the substitution as autosymbolic. I shall cite here a few examples from Silbera's work, and on account of certain peculiarities of the phenomena observed, I shall refer to the subject later on. Example 1. I remember that I have to correct a halting passage in an essay. Symbol. I see myself planing a piece of wood. Example 5. I endeavor to call to mind the aim of a certain metaphysical studies which I am proposing to undertake. This aim, I reflect, consists in working one's way through while seeking for the basis of existence to ever higher forms of consciousness or levels of being. Symbol. 
I run a long knife under a cake as though to take a slice out of it. Interpretation. My movement with the knife signifies working one's way through. The explanation of the basis of the symbolism is as follows. At table, it devolves upon me now and again to cut and distribute a cake, a business which I perform with a long, flexible knife and which necessitates a certain amount of care. In particular, the neat extraction of the cut slices of cake presents a certain amount of difficulty. The knife must be carefully pushed under the slices in question, the slow working one's way through in order to get to the bottom. But there is yet more symbolism in the picture. The cake of the symbol was really a dobos cake, that is, a cake in which the knife has to cut through several layers, the levels of consciousness and thought. Example 9. I lost the thread in a train of thought. I make an effort to find it again, but I have to recognize that the point of departure has completely escaped me. Symbol. Part of a form of type, the last signs of which have fallen out. In view of the part played by witticisms, puns, quotations, songs, and proverbs, and the intellectual life of educated persons, it would be entirely in accordance with our expectations to find disguises of this sort used in extreme frequency in the representation of the dream thoughts. Only in the case of a few types of material has a generally valid dream symbolism established itself on the basis of generally known allusions and verbal equivalents. A good part of this symbolism, however, is common to the psychoneuroses, legends, and popular usages as well to the dreams. In fact, if we look more closely into the matter, we must recognize that in employing this type of substitution, the dream work is doing nothing at all original. For the achievement of its purpose, which in this case is representation without interference from the censorship, it simply follows the path which it finds already marked out in unconscious thinking and gives the preference to those transformations of the repressed material which are permitted to become conscious also in the form of witticisms and illusions and with which the fantasies of neurotics are replete. Here we suddenly begin to understand the dream interpretations of Scherner, whose essential correctness I have vindicated elsewhere. The preoccupation of the imagination with one's own body is by no means peculiar to or characteristic of the dream alone. My analyses have shown me that it is constantly found in the unconscious thinking of neurotics and may be traced back to sexual curiosity whose object in the adolescent youth or maiden is the genitals of the opposite sex or even of the same sex. But as Scherner and Volquet very truly insist, the house does not constitute the only group of ideas which is employed for the symbolism of the body, either in dreams or in the unconscious fantasies of neurosis. To be sure, I know patients who have steadily adhered to an architectural symbolism for the body and genitals. Sexual interest, of course, extends far beyond the region of the external genital organs. Patients for whom posts and pillars signify legs, as in the Song of Songs, to whom every door suggests a bodily aperture, hole, and every water pipe, the urinary system, and so on. But the group of ideas appertaining to plant life or to the kitchen are just as often chosen to conceal sexual images. In respect of the former everyday language, the sediment of imaginary, imaginative comparisons dating from the remotest times has abundantly paved the way. The vineyard of the Lord, the seed of Adam, the garden of the maiden, and the song of songs. The ugliest as well as the most intimate details of sexual life may be thought of or dreamed of in apparently innocent allusions to culinary operations and the symptoms of hysteria will be absolutely unintelligible if we forget that sexual symbolism may conceal itself behind the most commonplace and inconspicuous matters as its safest hiding place. That some neurotic children cannot look at blood and raw meat, 
they vomit at the sight of eggs and macaroni and that the dread of snakes which is natural to mankind is monstrously exaggerated in neurotics all this has definite sexual meaning wherever the neurosis employs a disguise of this sort it treads the path once trodden by the whole of humanity and the early stages of civilization passed to whose thinly veiled existence are idiomatic expressions proverbs superstitions and customs testify to this day i here insert the promised flower dream of a female patient in which i shall print in roman type everything which is to be sexually interpreted this beautiful dream lost all its charm for the dreamer once it had been interpreted a preliminary dream she goes to the two maids in the kitchen and scolds them for taking so long to prepare a little bite of food she also sees a very large number of heavy kitchen utensils in the kitchen heaped into piles and turned upside down in order to drain later addition the two maids go to fetch water and have as it were to climb into a river which reaches up to the house or into the courtyard b main dream she is descending from a height too over curiously constructed railings or a fence which is composed of large square trellis work hurdles and small square apertures three it is really not adapted for climbing she is constantly afraid that she cannot find a place for her foot and she is glad that her dress does not get caught anywhere and that she is able to climb it so respectably four as she climbs she is carrying a big branch in her hand five really like a tree which is so thickly studded with red flowers a spreading branch with so many twigs six with this is connected the idea of cherry blossoms blood in equals flowers but they look fully opened camellias which of course do not grow on trees as she is descending she first has one then suddenly two and then again only one seven when she has reached the ground the lower flowers have already begun to fall now that she has reached the bottom she sees an odd man who is combing as she would like to put it just such a tree that is with a piece of wood he is scraping thick bunches of hair from it which hang from it like moss other men have chopped off such branches in a garden and have flung them into the road where they are lying about so that a number of people have take some of them but she asks whether this is right whether she may take one too eight in the garden there stands a young man he is a foreigner and known to her toward whom she goes in order to ask about how it is possible to transplant such branches into her own garden nine he embraces her whereupon she struggles and asks him what he is thinking of whether it is permissible to embrace her in such a manner he says there is nothing wrong in it that it is permitted ten he then declares himself willing to go with her into the other garden in order to show her how to put them in and he says something to her which she does not quite understand besides this i need three meters later she says square meters or three fathoms of ground it seems as though he were asking her for something in return for his willingness as though he had the intention of indemnifying or reimbursing himself in her garden as though he wanted to evade some law or other to derive some advantage from it without causing her an injury she does not know whether or not he really shows her anything two exalted origin the wish contract to the preliminary dream three a composite formation which unites two localities the so-called garret german boden equals floor garret of her father's house in which she used to play with her brother the object of her later fantasies and the farm of a malicious uncle who used to tease her four wish contract to an actual memory of her uncle's farm to the effect that she used to expose herself while she was asleep five 
just as the angel bears a lily stem in the Annunciation. 6. For the explanation of this composite formation, see earlier in the chapter, see Innocence, Menstruation, La Dame Ox Camelias. 7. Referring to plurality of the persons who serve her fantasies. 8. Whether it is permissible to masturbate. Sich enim hirschtiersium means to pull off and colloquially to masturbate. Tr. 9. The branch ast has long been used to represent the male organ and moreover contains a very distinct allusion to the family name of the dreamer. 10. Refers to the matrimonial precautions as does that which immediately follows. The above dream, which has been given prominence on account of its symbolic elements, may be described as a biographical dream. Such dreams occur frequently in psychoanalysis, but perhaps only rarely outside it. I have, of course, an abundance of such material, but to reproduce it here would lead us too far into the consideration of neurotic conditions. Everything points us to the same conclusion, namely that we need not assume any special symbolizing activity of the psyche is operative in dream formation, that on the contrary, the dream makes use of such symbolizations as are to be found ready-made in unconscious thinking, since these, by reason of their case of representation, are for the most part, by reason of their being exempt from the censorship, satisfy more effectively the requirements of the dream formation. End of section 30.